This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. We have uh, begun a new series as of last week called Relationships Uncensored. And last week we got to talk about the heaviness of hope, that our hope really is quite a heavy thing. And when placed in a person uh, erroneously, right, they cannot handle that. They cannot sustain that hope. That Jesus is the only one who can ultimately hold on to, who can ultimately carry our hope. And last week, we got to demonstrate that, and I got to bunch a bunch of stuff, uh, you know, break some glass, and that's always a good time for me. Today, this is going to be geared more towards those of you who are dating, who are single looking to mingle, you know what I'm saying? Those of you who are out there kind of playing the field, uh, maybe you're in a relationship, this is going to be for everyone, but it's gonna be focused uh, a lot on, on you, young people, single people, those who are looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And today we're gonna talk about baggage, baggage, excess, unnecessary baggage. There are, are fewer things that I hate more than going through an airport with like tons of stuff in tow. Like even kids sometimes, kids and their bags and you know all this stuff we're carrying through there. I pride myself on being an expert packer, all right? I went to Israel for 10 days and I only packed uh, whatever I could fit in a fanny pack. I mean, seriously, that's what I took, pretty much. A little carry-on, the smallest bag I could find. My wife, on the other hand, we're gone for like 10 minutes and we're taking a U-Haul with box fans and that's our dysfunction. But I'm not talking about those kinds of bags. So I'm talking about the baggage that you and I carry from relationship to relationship, the unnecessary baggage that we would be better off not bringing into our relationships. I'm calling this message, if you wanna jot down a title today, uh, Turning Tricks, write that down, Turning Tricks. Turning Tricks, that's a little awkward and confusing. Uh, You're gonna find out why in just a little bit. Genesis chapter 29, before we jump in, uh, as you're looking for it, let me give you a little crash course. Abraham, who's the father of our faith, has a grandson whose name is Jacob. And Jacob, when we jump into the story, we find that he's a man on the run. He's trying to hide from his his brother, his older brother by 30 seconds. Jacob was a twin um, on the run because his brother wants to kill him. Why did he want to kill him? Because Jacob was a uh, deceiver. Like from the very beginning, Jacob you know, had it out for his older brother, trying to trick him, trying to steal the birthright from him. As the firstborn son, uh, you would get the birthright. So even on the way out of the womb, Jacob is clutching the heel of his brother Esau, all right? Like trying to pull him back in, trying to be the firstborn. Jacob, his name means heel grabber. It means deceiver, it means schemer, and that's what he was. His older brother, by 30 seconds, Esau, uh, the, the literal translation in the he- from the Hebrew is Chewbacca, all right? Because he was hairy, 
Actually, it means hairy. He came out like super hairy. He was the firstborn. And, you know, I always thought it was crazy when you think, how hairy was this guy? Well, one day, Jacob tricked his blind father into believing that he was Esau so he would get his birthright, his blessing, by taping dead goat skin to his arms and his neck. That's disturbing, right? That's a hairy guy right there. So one day, um, Chewy had enough. He's like, enough is enough. And my brother trying to trick me because another time he tried to trick him into like giving him his birthright for a bowl of soup. So he sold that out because he was so hungry. He said, all right, I've had it. I'm going to kill my brother. We've probably all been there and said that at some point in our life. But Rebecca, Jacob's mother, caught wind of it. And she's like, you know, I don't, I don't want him to to kill my favorite son, and it's never wise to play favorites, but Jacob was Rebecca's favorite. He was kind of a mama's boy. He was the guy in the kitchen, helping out in the kitchen. Uh, He's searching for Pinterest, looking for new crafts and things to do like that. He was a mama's boy. Well, Esau was, um, you know, a man's man, and Isaac loved Esau. Esau would be out there hunting, finding game, punching deer in the face, kind of killing him, that kind of, he's like a man's man. He's like, that's my boy. Esau, do that deer punching thing that you do, you know, kind of thing. And so, not wanting Esau to kill Jacob, Rebecca sends Jacob away. Sends him to her hometown, to her homeland, to find a wife. Hoping that by the time he finds a new bride and brings her home, that this whole thing with tricking him out of the birthright, stealing that from him, would kind of blow over and that Esau would have forgotten about it. So that's kind of where we're jumping in to Genesis chapter 29. He's out now hanging with his uncle Laban because Laban, his uncle, has two daughters and he's fallen in love with one. One of his daughters. So he's fallen in love with his uncle's daughter, which makes her his cousin. Right. Some West Virginia stuff going on, right? Right from the start. But that's only the tip of the iceberg, right? Because this story, like, it's a lot more loco and la cabeza, you know, from here on out. I'm just saying, watch this. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah. The younger was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Hmm, what does that mean? Um, uh, your version might say uh, she had weak eyes. Scholars would agree that this is a nice way of saying she didn't look that great. Not a lot of sparkle there, all right? Uh, some argue that maybe she had an eye that wouldn't stay true, kind of like wander off a little bit. And so uh, they're trying to be a little politically correct, not a lot of sparkle there. It's really a way of saying uh, Leah had a really nice personality, all right? So it's just a nice way of saying that. <laughs> and we know that's true because of the next part of the verse. They're like, what can we say about Leah? Mm, not so good looking, but Rachel, dang. She had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Awesome, you know, right? How do you feel being Leah in that moment? Verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, and watch what Laban says. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Thanks, Dad, I appreciate that. Super, you're the best, Dad of the year. Stay and work with me, he says. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but guys, a little note here, great verse to memorize, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed like only a few days. 
To which everyone would say, Aww. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. But just before you get all, you know, ooey-gooey, thinking Jacob's all sentimental, check this out. Verse 21. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Well, okay. No one's perfect, all right? It only seemed like a few days. I'm ready to have sex now. And basically, that's what he's saying, all right? Verse 22. Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. So he got this whole party together. There's a DJ there. Uh, the, the, the bar is an open bar. How do you know it's an open bar? It doesn't say that. Here's how I know. Check this out. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. See, that's the only way that could have happened, was he had to be wasted out of his mind to sleep with his, his new bride's sister on his wedding night. Like, this is crazy stuff right here. Um, and then there's this weird verse that's thrown in there about kind of what's on her bridal registry. Verse 24, Laban had given Leah a servant, Zopah, to be her maid. So like, okay, that's great. Can we talk about what just happened? <laughs> but when Jacob woke up in the morning, exclamation point, it was Leah. Ah! Can you imagine this? Like, just, just picture it in your mind. You go to bed on your wedding night thinking with your wife. You wake up, you wipe the sleep out of your eyes. You know, maybe she's covered up. You roll over and you're just, you're rubbing her back or whatever you're doing. Like, seven years. And it's, and it's finally here. We're married, honey. We did it. And she turns over and she's like, hey, good looking. <laughs> right? Can you picture this? And Jacob is like freaking out. He's enraged. And what he says, what have you done to me? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you, everybody say it out loud. Why did you trick me? And I want you to notice here what we find is the, the, the tricker himself gets tricked. The deceiver is deceived. The schemer, you know, has a, a scheme kind of played out on him, And what I want us to understand, and we'll stop there in the story, is that although culture has changed and things are, are very different, the exact same thing could happen to you. You could think you married Rachel and you wake up one day not realizing you married Leah. Why? Not because some father-in-law, you know, has, has played a trick on you, but you may wake up and realize that, that what was on the outside was far different than what's on the inside. That what was advertised on the package is very different when you unpack it. Because in relationships, write this down, what you see is not always what you get. And you wouldn't think so, but it's far easier to marry a, a, a stranger than you, than you think. That's why we need to approach dating through, through the lens of, of faith because the most important parts of you are, in fact, invisible. Did you know that? And so we need to learn to write this down, see people how God sees people. Learn to see them how God sees them because you could go to bed thinking it's, it's Rachel and waking up and it's Leah. You could think you, you married Dr. Jekyll but you wake up one day and you realize you have a Mr. Hyde on your hands. So we need to learn to see people 
the way God sees people. Samuel the prophet, he learned this the hard way. God told him, hey, I want you to go find the new king. Go find and anoint the new king because they had a king in Saul who was handsome and tall, but that's about all, right? And so he's just this guy, you know, he's kind of a big, beautiful guy, which by the way, there are people out there with a beautiful face and bulging biceps with an ugly heart. You should know that. And so he says, go find and anoint the new king. He says, all right. So he's like, where do I go? He says, go to Bethlehem. And, and Samuel's like, Bethlehem? Nothing comes out of Bethlehem. I might as well, you know, that's, that's the hood. That's like, that's like going to Guy's Mills. You know, that's like Bethlehem. What is that? He says, go to Bethlehem. You're gonna go to the house of Jesse. And Jesse, one of his sons, is going to be king. So reluctantly, he goes to Bethlehem, goes to Jesse, and he starts marching out his boys one by one. And just, they all start coming out of the house. And he's like, that's him. There he is. Well, this job was easier than I thought. He picks out the biggest, the oldest guy. You know, he's all jacked and ripped. Looks like Fabio coming out of this dude's house. And he's like, all right, well, here you go. Let's anoint him. And God taps him on the shoulder and whispers into his heart. In fact, this is what he says. Why don't you take a look in 1 Samuel 16? But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I rejected him. In other words, not him. Not, not based on what you see, not based on what's on the outside, not based on his, his physique or his appearance. The Lord doesn't see things the way we see them. So we need to learn to see the way he sees people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And you know the story. Ultimately, the one who was chosen wasn't even invited, right, to the selection show. Uh, Jesse knew that it wouldn't be David, so he had him continue to stay out in the field and work, but eventually he got, gets brought in, and God's like, that's, that's the one. That's him. He wasn't even on your list, and that's the one. In fact, that might be a word for someone here today who has a checklist of, of all that they're looking for in a guy or in a girl. You have a checklist, you know, he's gonna be six foot four, dark hair, exotic looking, brown eyes. You've just described the, the Jacob dude from the Twilight series, I don't know, maybe that's the picture in your mind. When the guy who you're supposed to marry, the guy who you're supposed to be with, you know, all those things that you have on your list are in fact quite insignificant. Therefore, we need to see people the way God sees people. And what you should know is that the easiest way to experience regret is to rush, is to rush. The easiest way to marry the wrong person, the easiest way to end up in the wrong relationship is to rush. And if you want to be tricked and one day wake up with someone that you don't even realize or know who they are, then by all means rush. But what's, what's interesting about this idea is that we all know this intuitively. In fact, You've probably given this advice to someone before. Hey, don't rush, don't rush, don't be so quick you know, to, to dive into that relationship. We know that when it comes to big matters like relationships and who we're to end up with. The problem is that in dating, we're not thinking. We're not using our, our, our brains. A lot of times, and dating isn't bad, dating isn't wrong or evil or deceitful, but dating really is all about putting your best foot forward, isn't it? Dating is all about sales. Sales, you're trying to sell yourself. Nobody arrives on the first date and says, hey, something you should know, I'm actually pretty lazy, I snore a lot, I don't lift up the seat when I pee, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
You should know that. Nobody does that. Dating is sales. Marriage is the close. And we're all naturally going to do that. So if we stop to think about it, hey, you know what? I can trick that person for a while, but eventually the true colors are gonna come out. I, I can suck in my gut for a while, but eventually, you know, he's gonna find out I'm wearing Spanx. I can, I can pretty much get by and be kind of chill for a while, but one day I'm gonna blow up and he's gonna know that, that I have anger issues and I turn into the Hulk. So by nature, when we rush into this, what happens is we think we're going to bed with Rachel and we wake up with Leah. But dating slowly gives us time to expose those true colors. So why is it that we rush? Why, why is it so easy for us when we feel like we found him or we found her to like rush right into the relationship? Well, here's one of the reasons why is because we interpret infatuation as love. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do because infatuation is powerful. It has this powerful effect on you. We get love drunk. We get love sick. Like we don't want anything else. We don't want anyone else. We just want to be Together, it has this unbelievable, powerful effect on you. Like, I don't wanna work anymore. I don't even wanna go to class anymore. All we need is love. We don't need money, baby, we got love. Like, you should try that for a period of time. You know, it sounds romantic, right? Until you actually are living that out. And it's not that feelings are bad, feelings are good, but feelings aren't enough. They're just not enough. So what you need to do instead of rushing is to stay the course long enough in the relationship long enough so the butterflies can actually fly away. Colby, why are you hating on the butterflies? I'm not. I, I think we should always feel the butterflies. I wanna feel the butterflies forever. <laughs> Listen, that's great. It's just not realistic. Marriage is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you need to stay with that person long enough to where you're like, you know what? They are not perfect, and I see their faults, and you're choosing to commit to loving them through who they really are, not through who they pretend to be. And so you need to see them first as, as God sees them because the most important parts of us are often invisible, and what you see is not always what you get and if you make the mistake, by the way, of taking this relationship to a physical level too soon and sleeping with each other or adding some other physical component to it, what in fact you're doing is prolonging the infatuation period. The infatuation period generally lasts between 12 and 18 months, honestly. And what you're doing is you're just prolonging that. If all you're ever doing is getting hot and heavy and, and fogging up you know, the front windshield of the car, well, how will you ever be able to see to move forward? And you've added another dimension to the relationship where now you can't even trust your feelings. You can't even trust the way you feel because sex is both binding and blinding. It's binding and it's blinding, which is a great thing for marriage. Helps you get over a fight. That's some of the best sex, isn't it, right? The makeup sex, just saying. Helps you get over a fight, helps you stay attached to one another, helps you look past, you know, faults, but it's, easy for us to prematurely bind ourselves to someone else. That's why we've all seen that girl or, or that guy, you know, where you said, he's no good for you, he's no good for you, he's no good for you, and you can tell her over and over and over again, but she will not listen. Why? Because she's been blinded 
and she's binded. And she's been uh, binded herself prematurely to someone. So during that stage of infatuation, that 18 to uh, 12 to 18 month period, you cannot trust your feelings. Again, feelings are great. You just can't build a life on them, on feelings alone. So here's some questions. For those of you that are dating, those of you that are playing the field, here's some questions that you need to ask early on in the relationship. First, you need to ask, what do the godly voices in my life say about this relationship? Like, well, what do the, the people that, that love God and that love me say about this relationship? Not what does my, my cousin say who's on her third marriage, not what does my best friend say who sleeps with everything that moves, right? I'm not saying that. What do the trusted, godly voices in your life say about this relationship? And the only reason that you wouldn't ask them is because you already know the answer. A lot of times we, we won't ask the question because we're afraid of what, what they're going to say. But what are the, the trusted, well, the, nobody's for us. Everybody, you know, is against us. Nobody wants us to be together. We have a special kind of love and everybody's against us. You need to stop it right now. You're not Romeo, she's not Juliet. Not everybody in the world is against you, all right? But if everyone is saying the same thing, hey, we don't like the effect he's having on you. We don't like the fact that, that she's pulling you away from the things of God and pulling you away from, from the church. We, we don't like the fact that he monopolizes all your time and you're not allowed to have any other friendships you know, outside of him, then you should listen. What do the trusted godly voices say? Ask this question too, where did you, where did you meet? Like, well, this means where were the circumstances around your meeting? Did you meet at the bar? Did you meet at the club? And what bait were you using to attract him with? Because he's going to have an appetite for that bait that you hooked him with in the first place. And if you're always saying, I hate the kind of men that I, that I meet, all they ever want is one thing. Well, you should look at the bait you're using and the pond you're fishing in, all right? And meeting them at the club, you know, during last call at the night, well, let's see who looks good enough that I can go home with. That's, that's a great place um, to find someone to regret a night with. It's a terrible place to find someone to build a life with. So like, where, where did you meet? Ask what were the circumstances around your, your relationship beginning. Then ask this question. Uh, and, and by the way, I would just say th the church is a great place. We talked about this last week. It's a great place for you to meet a godly guy, to, for you to meet a godly woman. You guys believe that? The church is a great place to do that. In fact, if you're single and you believe that, raise your hand. All single people, you believe that? Hold it up high and now look around. Now look around. That's about all I can do for you right there, all right? Now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. All right, ask this question. Is this relationship honoring God? Emotionally, sexually, are you honoring and bringing honor to God, or are you taking something from someone that doesn't belong to you? Are you prematurely binding yourself to someone who is not going to, who's gonna be someone else's future husband, future, future wife one day? And a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to couples who are, you know, kind of, you know, early on, you know, just kind of getting all hot and heavy and having sex in the relationship, and they're, they're not married, and they'll, they'll stop me and they'll say, hold on, Colby, I got you here. Because yes, we're living together. Yes, we are sleeping together. But we're going to get married one day. 
And so because of that, I'm just getting mine in advance, if you know what I'm saying. So ha-ha, joke's on you, Colby. Actually, what, what I would tell you is that you are demonstrating to him, you're demonstrating to her whether or not you are gonna honor God and his boundaries by the way you treat them today. By the way you're, you're living out your single life, your single years, you are telling them whether or not they can trust you as a husband or trust you as a wife one day. Because here's the deal, temptation doesn't stop. It's going to follow you. And you're telling them how you're gonna respond when they're six months pregnant, you know, and they don't, they don't feel beautiful. Or when, when you're gone on a, a business trip to Chicago or when you're out with the boys in Vegas, you're telling them now by the way you're living your life, by compromising God's boundaries early on, what kind of future husband or wife you're going to be one day. And I'm not saying that uh, any of this is easy, that I'm just saying when you take it to that physical level too soon, oftentimes the physical part becomes a counterfeit form of intimacy that's not even there. This, this intellectual kind of friendship, this bond that doesn't exist because the physical side of it has, has overtaken the relationship. And Kristen and I, like when, like when we were first dating, um, we'll tell you straight up, like we wanted to have sex with each other really, really a lot, all right, just a lot. Um, and it was hard. And so we had to put things in place so we didn't take it to a physical level too soon. Because, you know, after a period of kissing and getting all hot and heavy and making out, like your body is just built in such a way that you want to have sex. I mean, it's, nobody wants to get in a car, put the key in, start the engine, rev the gas a little bit, and then get out and not drive anywhere. That's what making out is. All right, baby. And then just turn it off and just go, right? Like, what? And so... We had to learn early on, hey, hey, let's not do so much engine revving along this way. And it was a struggle. In the end, we made it to the altar. And I'm not saying that this is easy, right? But we just have to ask ourselves, is this relationship honoring God? And then most of all, ask yourself this question, does this person passionately uh, love Jesus? Do they radically, passionately love Jesus? Now, um, I didn't say, do they claim to be a Christian? I didn't say, did they, are they willing to show up with you on church for an hour because they know this is a pretty big deal to you and it's kind of a deal breaker if you don't come? I didn't say that. I said, do they passionately, radically love Jesus? Do they wanna see his kingdom come? Do they wanna see his will be done? Are they pursuing him with their whole heart? If they are not, and you are, you should break up with them pronto, like immediately, like right now. Wait, 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 Colby, like he's so close. Like I'm gonna lead him to Jesus. He's so close and if it's not me and if I, if I end it now, he may never meet Jesus, which I would remind you, you are not the Holy Spirit. You are not responsible for convicting him of sin in his life or convicting her of sin in her life. Only the Spirit of God is responsible for that and the best thing that you could do is to say, you know what, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Um, I'm blurring the issue right now by continuing to pursue this relationship. And so I really do hope that you meet Jesus one day. I really do hope that you continue to come to church on your own like you said you would. But one day I'm gonna stand before God. One day you're gonna stand before God and this is not for us today. And you just gotta end it. And if they genuinely had an encounter with Jesus, 
um, during the relationship, but you're not 100 about that, I would tell you to break up and see if they continue to pursue God, pursue Jesus without you as the carrot, without you as the bait. Uh, See if they'll pursue God without you being in the equation. Why would we do that? Because here's how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Don't team up. Don't partner with unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? And the, the obvious answer is, well, they can't. So you can't team up with someone if you're going to two different places. How many of you remember uh, those like three-legged race on like field day in elementary school. You remember those? You like get tied together. In fact, I wanna do that right now. Jared and Peyton, why don't you guys come up here? Come on up here. Hey, let's give it up for Jared and Peyton, you guys. Come on. This lovely couple pursuing one another in their dating lives. Come all the way up here. In fact, just stand right here. Will's gonna tie you guys up together. Come on, no, just up here, up here. Will's gonna tie you up. You remember how in field day, they, they would tie one of your legs together and, and you would have to run to a finish line, right together, kind of in sync, in unison. So that's what we're gonna do. However, here's a little twist. You got him tied up? Good, come on over here, Peyton. Come on, come on. Quick, quick, quick. No, I'm just kidding, don't fall off. All right, stand right here. Here's the deal. Jared, your finish line is over there. Peyton, your finish line is over here. Ready? When I say go, on your mark, get set, go. No, I'm just, oh, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Like, this doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. You can't team up with someone if you're going two different directions. How does this play out? What if Jared's like, hey, hey, Peyton, when we get married, I, I wanna pursue God. I, I feel like we should, we should tithe. I feel like we should help build, build the house of God, the church of God. But Peyton's like, that's stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would I wanna give you my hard-earned money Right? What if Jared was saying, you know what? I really want to raise our children to believe in Jesus, to know that there's something greater for them, to, to give them a hope and a, and a future. And he's pulling this way. And Peyton's like, that's ridiculous. Like, I, I want to raise my children to be intelligent. I want them to be soccer stars. So we're going to make sure that that's what's important on the weekend and on, uh, you know, holidays, all that kind of stuff. What if Jared said, you know what? What was all this stuff, Peyton, about? about coming together and and God being important and the church being important and being in a small group together and praying together. You know, what what happened to all that? And Peyton's like, well, you know what? That was just a bunch of garbage. I was was, uh, Rachel back then, but my real name's Leah, sucker. And so, (laughs) joke's on you. See, this doesn't work. And by the way, you know who ends up winning this battle? The biggest and the strongest. But the reality is, in this relationship, no one wins. No one wins. Hey, thank you guys. Will's gonna untie you, I hope. Or we'll, we'll make you. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. You think, wait a second. Can't we just hear more about how God is for us and how he's not against us and how he loves us? Here's the thing. God is for you. He's not against you. And he does love you. That's why he's given us his word as a guide. And he's given us boundaries considering uh, our, our sexuality. Thank you guys. Thank you, Jared and Peyton. And he does not want you to wreck your life in confusion, being uh, unequally yoked, being teamed up with someone who is not a believer, going to two different destinations. Because what you see is not always what you get. And infatuation can easily be interpreted as love. 
And it's really easy uh, to regret something if we rush into it. That's why the other thing I want you to write down is we need to focus more on who we're becoming, not who we're finding. We can say it this way, who you're becoming is way more important than who you're finding. Andy Stanley says, are you becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? I love that. Instead of rushing to trying to find the right one, Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, are you putting your energy and your focus not into finding, but into becoming? What I've discovered is that as I selfishly kind of seek out what I want to do, I often end up with something um, that I don't need. Kind of like the woman at the well we talked about last week who's on her sixth guy, uh, went through five marriages, now she's on her sixth. She's just shacking up with things that she thinks that she wants In fact, there's nothing that she needed. But when we seek God first, we end up getting both what he wants for us now and perhaps what we didn't even know we wanted in the end. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all this other stuff will be added to you. But we go seeking after our own blessing thinking that we know better, thinking that, that we uh, have our best interest in mind. But when we seek God first, we seek his righteousness, his kingdom, then he does the adding. So at the end of the day, I'm just gonna believe that God has my best interest at heart. Even though I think I know what I want, doesn't mean that you know I have this checklist of what he looks like, what she looks like. I don't know, I'm gonna put that aside and allow God to do the adding. In fact, we should be like Jacob's uh, father, Isaac. I didn't tell you this part of the story, but Isaac uh, was in the field. He was actually harvesting the field. He was working in the field. And one day he looks up and there he sees Rachel, I mean, Rebecca, his wife. He sees Rebecca, like he's working and he looks up and there's Rebecca. He wasn't out playing the field. He was working in the field. He was harvesting the field and he looks up and it should be the same way with you in your seeking, in your your searching, that you're just running in the lane that God's called you to run in, doing what he's called you to do and then one day you look up and there she is, there he is. I would encourage you to run the race, run the pace that God's called you to and look up and see who's running next to you, who's running that same race, that same pace. Becoming is way more important than Finding, And here's the last thing I want you to jot down. We're gonna bring the band back out and we'll, we'll, we'll land this plane. What you pack now, you're gonna carry later. When it comes to baggage, the excess baggage that we bring into relationships, what we need to know is that what we pack now, we carry with us later. And can we all agree that what's going on with Jacob is kind of like his life boomeranging back on him. That the, the tricker, um, his tricks are, are turning back onto him. We could say he's turning tricks. That the schemer has fallen under a scheme. The deceiver has been deceived. In fact, this is what Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God's not gonna be mocked. What you reap or what you sow is what you're going to reap. What Jacob has, has sown as the, the deceiver, he's going to, to reap. 
And so something that you should know, something that you should be aware of is that your past will follow you into your future. And here's a verse that I love. I wanna let this sit for a little bit. Is two verses before that in Galatians 6, 5. It says, every one of us is gonna have to carry our own load. Is gonna be uh, required to carry the stuff that we pack. There's a, a beautiful uh, tradition that young girls, as they would uh, grow up and they would mature in homes. We did this in, in the U.S. I think they did this in, in the U.K., uh, maybe Australia, some other parts of Europe. But, but the parents would put together this, this box. They, they would build it out of cedar. They would call it a hope chest. And inside of this hope chest, uh, they would place things that they knew one day as this, this daughter of theirs matured into a woman and began to start this family of her own that one day uh, there would be things that she would need. So inside this box, they would put things like, well, here's some towels. You know, you're gonna need these when you, when you get married and, and you have a family of your own. So th these are just important for you to have. Uh, you're probably gonna need some sheets, you know, for that bed. So we got you some 500 thread count Egyptian cotton. We'll put those in there too. Uh, maybe they're out in the marketplace. You know, they, they see some pillows. You know what, those would be really cool to put in her hope chest, so they got her some pillows. These, these both have elephants on it. I don't know what the deal is with that. But as a family, together they would look after their daughter. They would prepare her for what her future, you know, would come. Maybe they uh, would see some, some picture frames, and they, they'd throw these in there, you know, hoping that the memories that you make together, man, we just can't wait to see the family that becomes uh, from, from your marriage, from your union, the, the little ones, or maybe our grandkids one day will, will be in these picture frames. And so they put those in there. Here's some silverware. You're gonna need that. And they would put this in a box. And a lot of times they would take the dowry. The, it was the, the bride payment, the wedding payment. And it would kind of like um, be a gift. Here as you start your family together, they put it in this chest and they close it up and they would give it to her on her wedding day. This really is a, a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful tradition. Having in mind as they prepared her for her future, all the things that, that she would need. But here's what I desperately want every one of us to know is that in life, we're also packing another box, an invisible box. And the choices that we make in our single years, the choices that we make in our dating lives, well, we're gonna carry these with us into our future as well. Uh, maybe there's that uh, choices like that time at the, at the gym, you were working out, getting your swell on, you see a, a hot guy, you see a hot girl, you exchange numbers, you start texting each other, you go out to dinner, next thing you know, you woke up in his apartment. You're gonna put that in the box. Oh, that was that time that you got invited to, to spring break in high school. And you had too much to drink and you slept with, I don't know how many. Do you remember? Two, three, maybe even four guys, four girls. I, I don't even know. I was just too, too drunk. That's gonna go in the box. And you can't forget college. That's gonna go in the box. Oh, then all those, those novels that, that we read and that stuff we fill our, our mind with and Fifty Shades and all kinds of stuff and um, maybe that's that type of thing. That's gonna go in the box. 
Oh, then there was that business trip when I went to Miami. Although I didn't do much business, hung out on the beach, drank a little too much, slept with, what's his name? I don't remember, that's going in the box. Oh, then of course, man, can't forget the hours and hours spending online, looking at sites, filling my mind with thousands of pictures of, of naked women or, or naked men, just kind of looking around, just surfing and just internet pornography, just having these visual images over and over and over and something we need to know that's going in the box. Oh, on Valentine's Day. Hey, but, but he told me he really loved me. And he said that if I loved him back, then I would. I would sleep with him. I would give up my virtue and, and that's now going in the box. And then, oh, St. Patrick's Day. Woo, that's going in the box. And then there was that one time that that pregnancy ended. We didn't follow through, didn't, didn't have the baby. That's going in the box. That's going in the box. And before long, what we need to realize is it starts to get pretty heavy. All this stuff that we carry around. Ugh. And we don't even know it. And it's invisible. And Galatians 6.5 says each person is gonna have to carry what they load. Now here's what some of you are saying. Come on, Colby. Why are you such a drama queen? Like if you're gonna preach to us, why at least tell us the truth about all this stuff. At least tell us the truth that, that in a moment Jesus can forgive us. At least tell us the truth that I can, I can have my fun now. I can sow my wild oats now. I can party now. I can live however I want to now. I can do all that stuff now. And then one day God will forgive me. One day I'll decide I want to become the person I'm looking for is looking for. One day I'm going to decide to get my heart right, to get my, my life right with God. And I'm going to ask him for forgiveness and he's going to forgive me, right? Right? Of course he will. But something that you should know is that far more than wanting to forgive you, he would rather be using you and blessing you. Far more than wanting to forgive the, the things in our lives and the mistakes that we made that he already told us. It's not a great area in our life to stay away from, giving us boundaries, not, not to put his finger and his thumb on us to keep us from fun, but so that we didn't get hurt. Far more than doing that, he wants to bless us and use us. And there's a big difference between uh, forgiveness and the consequences that remain. Like it's a really bad plan to think that I can just live like hell today with the hopes that one day he's going to forgive me. That's not a good way to live your life. But this is what we do. And so I had a real dilemma in, in putting this message together because on one hand, I, I wanna give hope to those who feel maybe a little discouraged that there is no hope. But I'll, at the same time, I wanted to prevent the young people from thinking, well, you know what, I can just do whatever I want and then I'll be good to go. I'll ask forgiveness and I'm, I'm good to go. 
And so for those of you that, that feel like today, Colby, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here. There's, there's a lot of junk in my trunk. You know what I'm saying? I found something amazing. I learned something amazing that, that I just, I love, I love God's word. And in, in, in Exodus, when God is um, giving these commands on how we worship him, how we approach his holiness, how we, how we set him apart. We build the tabernacle and the tents and all this, this stuff. In fact, it's, it's reflected in Hebrews chapter nine. Um, it, it says this, that I will put it up here on the screen, that there's going to be this room in this tabernacle that, that you're making. I need you to set apart this room. It's gonna be the holiest place on earth. And in that room, I want you to take this wooden chest. I want you to call it the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of this Ark, that's gonna be layered with gold, covered with, with gold on all sides. Here's what I want you to put into this Ark. Everything that you've done that hasn't been so great. Everything you've done as a reminder of all the ways of your human failure. He said in this, this, this Ark, put, put a jar containing the, the manna that I gave you. Remember when you were in the desert? Remember when you were complaining about how, how I wasn't feeding you, how you wanted to go back into slavery, how you wanted to go back into bondage, and you were complaining? That wasn't such a great time in your history, so take that jar and put it in the ark. As a reminder of, of the ways that, that you didn't trust me, and I also want you to take, take Aaron's staff, the one that sprouted. Uh, remember the time when, when um, we were setting aside the tribes and, and if you were following me, it would bud this, this, this good fruit, sweet, sweet almonds. And if you weren't, it was bitter. So I want you to take that. I want you to put that in there too. Because of that day, remember the ground opened up and a thousand of you died. This wasn't such a good day either. You need to put that in there. And then the commandments, put these in there just as a reminder of all the ways that you fail to follow me. I want you to take it all and put it in the box and take that box I want you to set it in the holiest room, in the holiest place on earth. And then once a year, once a year, the, the high priest, pick a guy who's gonna be the highest priest. And I want you to sacrifice uh, these, these bulls and these, these goats. And I want you to take that blood. I want you to bring it into that room. And what it's gonna do is that's going to transform that, that box literally into my throne room and my presence is going to fall. You know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of our human failure being covered with the blood of Jesus. Our human failure, all the ways we've strayed from God, all the things that we've, we've done wrong, covered with the blood of Jesus. And he said that this box actually becomes the mercy seat, the throne of God, that all your stuff, all your junk, all of our failures in a moment are transformed from our nasty box to the throne of God. And so I wanna leave those of you today with some hope too. But I'd also as a warning for those of you that are younger, because you're still gonna have to carry this even though you're forgiven, it's still coming with you. It's still gonna play a part in your life and relationships to come. So why pack it so heavy? Why fill it with so much stuff? But for those of you that say, you know what? That's where I am. Here's what you should know. That at the end of the day, 
The blood of Jesus covers all of our sins, past, present, and future, that he transformed them. Then when God sees us, he doesn't see this. He just sees the blood of Christ, his forgiveness, his grace, covering our lives, setting us free. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why this message must end with an invitation. If you bow your heads, because perhaps there are those of you in this room today, you're feeling a little maybe convicted, a little challenged. I want you to feel the hope that's found in Christ alone. I want you to understand that the moment we call on his name, he can set us free. Not that there won't be a struggle, not there won't be challenges, not that our, our sins don't carry consequences with them, but the consequence of, of separation from God is eliminated, is destroyed. And he doesn't want you to carry shame. He doesn't want you to carry guilt. He gives you the power to walk through this life and all that he has for you. The moment you confess him as, as Lord and Savior of your life and you believe that when he died on the cross that his blood shed for you covers all our sins. And when God looks at us, that's all he sees. It's the mercy seat of Jesus covering our sins. And the way we receive that is through prayer. If you'd say, Colby, I'm gonna pray that right along with you today. Maybe you're praying this for the first time, maybe you're praying it for the first time in a long time, but today you're gonna ask God to completely forgive you, to cover your sins, to give you a fresh start and a new beginning. If you'd say, that's me, Colby, count me in. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Would you raise your hand? I just wanna see who I'm praying with right in this room this morning. God bless you. That's awesome, brother. God bless you. Yes, praise God for you. Praise God for you, awesome, awesome, awesome. Today, so many of us receiving that freedom, receiving that grace that's found in Jesus. You can put your hands down, pray this prayer out loud or whisper it in your heart. God knows Jesus today. Thank you for your death on the cross, which covers all my sin. Today, I put my hope and my trust in you alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for forgiving everything that I've ever done or ever will do. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.